on the road to NXT TakeOver 36, and we have a few questions that need answered. What's it take to make Kyle O'Reilly snap? Has the way lost its way? Is punching a man in the face in your job description? And who provoked who? Let's get right into it. Welcome to the War Zone. Welcome to the Warzone Wrestling Podcast. We are coming to you live in a recorded session from new locations this week. Uh, you've got me, your host, Brad, coming to you from Connie Lake up in northwestern Pennsylvania. And my fuzzy little friend, Damien. Damien, how the hell are you? Where the hell are you? I'm up in the northwestern corner of Connecticut, uh, up near Winchester, and yeah, man, uh, we have some brand new recording spaces, some brand new material to review, but it's the same old duo back at it again. That's right. The dynamic duo that you never knew you wanted in your life, but hell, you got us and here we are. And now we have our own little place in your ear hole, which sounds weird. It does sound a little weird. It sounds like that South Park or was South Park a family guy where they were trying to fuck each other's ears. Uh, it could be either one at this point. They both are uh, at that point. I think it was uh, Family Guy because I think Lois walked in on like Meg about to get fucked in the ear or some shit like that. It was it was weird. <laughs> well, speaking of weird, this was a weird episode of NXT. This was a very up and down, either loved it or hated it segments to this show. Uh, you know, let's let's just hop right into it and let's. Start at the bottom, and then we're going to work our way up to where we're positive and end on a happy, shiny, bright note. Yeah, man. I, this episode of NXT was – the highs were high, but the lows were very, very low. And to start it off, man, Frankie Monet has not done a whole hell of a lot, has she? No. There's – as somebody who is not as familiar – familiar, there it is, stuttering. There it is. Yeah, as somebody who wasn't as up on her work in TNA as Taya Valkyrie and all of her other work that she's done throughout her career, if this were my first exposure to her, which it pretty much is, I am not feeling this character at all. She comes off as an entitled, for no real reason, person, and I'm not talking in a good kayfabe way. There's just something that is not clicking with her. It seems like it's this whole new crop of NXT women outside of Zoe Stark, right? I mean, sure. we have we have uh, Saray who is come and go as like she's never around hardly. Gigi Dolan, same thing. We have Frankie Monet who's just not ready to make an impact. No pun intended. Oh, like, I see what you did there. It's 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 definitely especially with Frankie Monet is the worst one of them because like. I feel like she's giving up way too much in her matches. Yeah, I mean, there's a thing with helping your opponent come out strong and have them looking good, but you can't do it at your own expense every single time. And I think that she's giving up so much. This should have been an absolute squash match. And honestly, I'll say the thing I took from this match, 
JC Jane looks like she could be somebody who could be a good player. Yeah, as long as she stops whatever that fucking screeching nonsense is. Like, good lord. Yeah. I was, watch- I was watching this with Ashley, and she brought it up, and she was like, I don't understand why they're making so much noise. It- and it was really bad. Like, they made a lot of noise in the ring and for some reason that I don't really know. Um, sure. But she looked good. Like, a lot of her strikes looked good, but... Frankie Monet's coming out of these matches looking kind of weak and not very well put together. And now she's affiliated with the Robert Stone brand. I don't know what that's supposed to be about. And this Mandy Rose thing has yet to be, like, uncovered and unchecked. Like, are they going to form a tag team? Are they going to feud? What are they going to do? Why do I care about any of these women? God only knows because they're not telling us. And it's... For sure. It's lost in translation. I feel like they're trying to push this whole, we have the best women's division. Yes, athletically, you might. But storyline-wise, this shit is not very good right now. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's literally an embarrassment of riches. With this depth of roster, they should be putting out some of the most crisp, clean, most refreshing women's wrestling you will see. But you're not, because they're trying to put 10 pounds of it into a five pound bag. I, and honestly, the little bit that we are getting that comes through, as you said, is Zoe Stark. And unfortunately she was nowhere to be seen this episode. No. And like, she's caught up in a tag team with one of the other best workers on your roster, male or female. And that's Io Shirai. So now you have two of your best workers who should be vying for the title holding their own titles and now i feel like this is where they need that either developmental show of evolve or whatever the fuck they want it to be or they need to start eliminating titles especially with the women we don't need women's tag titles unless there's another show coming like this is absurd now because now we have two sets of titles for the women and not enough main eventers to really hold those titles For sure. And there was this uh, talk a while ago on the Internet that Vince McMahon has this thing where every match has to mean something. There has to be some kind of stakes. And you're wondering if you see this bleeding into NXT because they're trying to put stakes into everything. And honestly, this match had no stakes at all. The only stakes involved should have been making Frankie Monet look like a badass, get all the offense, and not get touched. And that should have been your main goal for this match. Yeah, it's almost like they're suffering from what I call UFC syndrome, where the Mm -hmm. UFC now is putting a title fight everywhere. Because the next pay-per-view that they have, UFC 265, is headlined by Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gaon for the interim heavyweight title. You couldn't have just made that a number one contender fight. Like, you couldn't, like, you can attach, like, similar to what AEW does, which is what's so fascinating about them, is that they look at their roster and they're like, okay, here's a rankings list. And they bring it up a lot. They say, oh, he's the number two ranked person in the TNT title hunt, or they're the number one ranked tag team, and, you know, whatever. 
and and they bring it up to the point that you're beat over the head with it at um, ad nauseum that these matches mean something to the people even outside of the rankings because it could get them into those rankings those coveted top five spots right so right when you're doing it with the wwe and nxt it's okay to it's okay for you to say hey this tag team match, it's competitive. It's between four competitive gentlemen. They're all vying for a spot at that coveted tag team title. And they might not be at the top of the card yet, but they're working their way there. Similar to what ROH is doing with the Briscoe brothers. They're starting at the bottom and they have to win their matches to work their way up. And if they don't, they fall back down again. It's a good story because you're rooting for the Briscoes to climb that ladder to become 12-time Ring of Honor tag champs. But at the same time, you know that they have to go through some shit and squalor to get there. Absolutely. And you need that. You need to add the credibility. You need to understand why they're there. It's not just an entitlement thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of top titles, that's something else that unfortunately landed in the bottom of my list was this main event with Zia Lee taking on Raquel Gonzalez. There was just a lot wrong going with this match. It just didn't have that big fight feel. And unfortunately this match also did something for uh, NXT that, you know, sadly we have to deal with. There are no longer any undefeated wrestlers in NXT. Every single wrestler that has been there for more than a year has a loss on their record now. Yeah, and nobody feels special, especially in this women's division, and I hate to say that. But, like, Zoe Stark's my girl, but she doesn't feel super special outside of Io Shirai. And Raquel Gonzalez, her title defenses, while they've been good, have been against a lot of no-namers outside of Io Shirai. So, when you get this title defense between Zia Lee and Raquel Gonzalez, number one, Raquel Gonzalez hurt Zia Lee. We could see that. She either knocked the wind out of her, broke a rib. I don't know. But it was a botch. And it wasn't like it wasn't an intentional thing. It wasn't that she fucked up the move. It's that she landed hard. That shit happens. Yeah. You know, I I, I, tell sure. this, I tell this one story all the time. I was uh, I was in the ring. I was supposed to be hit with a senton. And I got hit with double knees to the chest. It knocked the wind out of me. But thank God it was it was the finish of the match anyway. So. We there was a communication fuck up. The next time we faced each other, when he went to hit a senton, he screamed double knees, and we made a joke out of it. So, like shit happens in the ring, it's fine. Like Zaylee, I'm sure is going to come back as long as she didn't do any like major damage, but she did get hurt. And my biggest issue wasn't the match itself. I thought the match was fine. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. My biggest thing was the ending. Why not just throw the match out? Why not just throw the match out? Why do yeah, you have to make it. her take? Why do you have to make her take that finisher? Yeah, it, if they would have just called this match, I think it would have added to the drama and it would have built in a story right there that you could have had them keep going. Mm-hmm. I do not think Zia Lee is done by a country mile. I think Zia Lee has a lot of fuel in the tank, and if you don't put her in that title picture more. I think you're making a big mistake. Zia Lee right now is easily, the, even though she's the most campy, she's the most interesting character in that women's division. And if you do not 
let her do that. If you do not let her carry on as that character, I think you're making a big mistake. There is a lot of leverage you'll be losing with this woman. Yeah, and not only that, like you say the most campy, I I disagree. Mei Ying is the most sure. campy. <laughs> well, yeah, overall presentation, but yeah. Yeah, but like, and that's what this could lead up to. I would not be surprised if maybe if Xia is a little bit more hurt than they're letting on. If they if they transition this into Mei Ying stepping up to defend Xia Li and she becomes champion or something along those lines where, you know, Xia Li couldn't get it done, but Mei Ying comes across and does because they've already showed that she's more powerful than Xia Li. She's more protected sure. than Xia Li. So when it comes down to it, I feel like that's the way that they should go, regardless of what happens with Xia Li. I feel like Mei Ying is the, is the end game. And that makes sense to me. And like, People are like, oh, I can't believe that, whatever. She's an undead character. So is The Undertaker. So is Sue Young. Mm -hmm. So is fucking Alexa Bliss. Nikki Cross is a superhero, and she is now the Raw Women's Champion. So shut the fuck up. Embrace The Fiend. The Fiend. Embrace the gimmicks, guys. Embrace the gimmicks. Kane was murdered, apparently, in a fire. Uh, So, like, that's my biggest issue with a lot of this stuff is, like, as long as you present it in a good way everything will come into place. But I agree to, completely. You have to present it right. And right now, I feel like sometimes it doesn't always work that way. But the the problem I had with this match was the finish as a whole. Don't make her take that finisher because you know what? That injury stoppage makes Raquel look stronger. Mm-hmm. She, she was forced to quit via doctor stoppage. Because Raquel hit her too hard. Raquel put her out. And yes, it was inadvertent. Run with it. Run with that because that makes her look so much stronger. Same as like, and again, I'll bring up the UFC. If you win by by decision, by unanimous decision, it doesn't look as good as winning by knockout. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, when was the last time we saw a Dr. Stoppage in WWE in any of its products, I think that you add that, you get that greediness, you get that feeling of realism that people want. Yeah, and that's and that's what I think that WWE doesn't seem to quite understand. They want this realistic kind of thing, but they don't they don't push realism to a point that like we suspend disbelief. Like there, there's times in WWE where like yeah, Campy's good, you know, Nikki Ash, Nikki almost a superhero, whatever. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. campy, but I can suspend my disbelief for some of this shit. Like, it's it's a TV show. It's fun. It's, it, you know, whatever. You're going to sell a million action figures. Whatever the fuck. I don't oh, care. I, I pop for her. I, I'm honestly I waiting to see all the kids in the crowd with those masks on their face and just having a great time. I, I got super excited when I saw her come out the other day. And when she won by just crawling up between everybody else who was duking it out, Genius. I thought that that was one of the best finishes to a Money in the Bank match in a while. Agreed. A hundred percent. I thought it was fantastic. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, that that's fine with me. It made sense because she was like, oh, hey, everybody's distracted. I'm going to just grab it. And that yep. was real. That's real. If everybody else is distracted, it's like pickpocketing. You distract, exactly. it, you distract them. Or like stage magic. It's a distraction. It's a, it's ready. It is a suspension of disbelief, guys. It's entertainment. It's okay. 
Like it's true. Like I may not like all of the Alexa Bliss shit that she's doing with Lily and Dewdrop and Eva Marie, whatever. I don't like it, but that's something I don't like. But the same shit, just as campy with Nikki Ash, it makes sense. It makes sense. Even keeping it to NXT, I have in big bold letters. Why does Hit Row work so well? Because it's believable. Because it right. makes sense. Right. Right. And, like, that's the biggest thing for me with with some of this stuff in WWE is, like, if you present it well enough, nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck. And the people that are trolling online are just trolling to troll. They're going to say the same shit about AEW with Orange Cassidy. Guess what? If he's over, Nikki Cross can get over, too, as this almost a superhero gimmick. I promise. Troller's going to troll, man. I'm like, telling see, you, it's more than just people on the lake with a fishing pole. Absolutely. And CJ Perry did this in an interview with Chris Jericho. Yes, the people online are going to sound loud. But you know what sounds louder? The people cheering you and the audience who aren't online talking about how shitty it is. And that's the majority. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on. What is your final low spot for the night, sir? My final low spot happened a little bit before the women's title match. Uh, it was Odyssey Jones versus An- uh, Andre Chase. Um, oh, boy. It was week two of the breakout tournament. And, man, Odyssey Jones, there was a scary spot where Andre Chase did a tope suicida where Odyssey Jones was supposed to catch him. And I get it, miscommunications happen, But he dropped Andre Chase right on his head. He damn near killed the guy. And the fact of the matter is he just barely caught him. And I yeah. can't even tell you how much of that was Andre Jones or excuse me, Andre Chase himself catching himself before he lets his neck snap on the ground. Yeah, it was a scary spot. I I was I, I audibly was like, what the fuck? Like, I was terrified for this kid. Um, yeah, I, I say kid. I don't know how old Andre Chase is, but he's a rookie, so he's a kid. Um, yep, he's a kid. <laughs> he's a kid. But I was terrified for this guy. I was I was terrified because I thought he might have broken his neck, and yeah, it, and it didn't look good. It wasn't just like oh, he landed hard on his neck. No, his neck bent backwards. Like it was rough. Yeah, it, it was very uncomfortable. And as somebody who has zero formal wrestling training, I mean, I can talk shit, and that's about as far as I go. Uh, you know, that's definitely not what you want to see. It made me cringe. I let out an audible oof to the point that uh, I'm surprised the wife didn't come check on me to make sure I was okay because it was it was a loud groan. And yeah, it, uh, that was a scary, scary spot. It really was. And not only that, but then later in the match, he also, I, I forget what else happened, but Odyssey Jones, I think, rushed a spot and almost dropped him again. And listen, I get it. The dude's 405 pounds. He didn't come up on the Indies. He's a former football. He's a former football player. I get it. Okay. You want to push this guy to the moon because of how he looks of his pedigree. I get it. Okay. I get it. But if that's the case, I learned something when I was wrestling and, and it really held true because there were times where, Especially there, uh, this one guy I faced, Travis Banks, and not the guy from England. It was another guy that was around here, uh, around the Pennsylvania and Delaware area. But um, we were we were kind of putting the match together, and he asked, like, hey, I'm going to do a Garvin stomp. And I didn't know what that was. Like, it was complete ignorance at that time. I didn't know what it was. So I asked. I'm like, what is that? 
and he and he explained it. I was like, oh, okay. And then he said something about like taking a power slam, and I'm like, I've never taken one before. So we went to the ring. He walked me through it. And it's okay to say, I don't know how to do that, or I don't feel comfortable doing that. There's multiple times where I nixed, I nixed somebody because I, did, I didn't want to hurt them because there was a time I planned a suicide dive, and I was just like, I don't want to hurt you. I don't think that that's the right idea. I feel like we should As do something As a matter else. of fact, as a matter of fact, I would say that makes you a stronger, better professional to it know does. when to say, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to hurt you. I think that that just builds you as not only a wrestler, but as just a person in general. There should be more good people in the world that know when to say, I don't know. Yeah, or just say, I'm not comfortable with that. Like, if Andre Chase was like, hey, this will be a great spot. And Odyssey Jones, if he was a little nervous or even like the adrenaline's pumping, it's his first time in front of a live television audience. The nerves are going to get you. You're put in this big spotlight. You know you're going to win. If you know the adrenaline is going to be pumping that hard, you should say, nah, man, I, 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 I don't trust myself to do that. And that's okay. Because you know what? I'd rather you do that and the match be mediocre because there weren't enough oh-my-God spots. Or even the match be average. Like, it could be three stars out of five. That's okay. As long as you're protecting the person that you're with. And Odyssey Jones did not protect the person he was with. And that's on him, not on Andre Chase, because Odyssey Jones should know his limitations. So I put all of the blame on him. Now, with that being said, I hope he learns from this and I hope he gets better. I don't want to I don't want to say, oh, bury this guy. Fuck this guy. He's a piece of shit. No, I want him to learn from this and say and Triple H take him aside or Regal or Matt Bloom and say, look, this is what we need to work on. This is where you were in the wrong. This is what you need to do next time that happens. And if that's the case, that makes him better because then he's learning from his mistakes. But this match overall, it didn't do it for me. I don't know enough about either of these guys, but I do know that it was sloppy. I agree completely. And that's the thing with this year's breakout tournament. I just don't feel like there were as many names in it that people were very familiar with. Whereas last year, you know, we got Cameron Grimes, also known as Trevor Lee. We had Bronson Reed coming in. We had a few names that really, really stood out. And, uh, you know, now we got these guys that, you know, are these guys, unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, like, we have some really good good talents. Like, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, he he was Blake Christian on the Indies. I can't remember the guys. Trey Baxter. Oh, yeah, we, Trey, Trey Baxter, Baxter. We got Carmelo Hayes. You right. Know, and so we have Josh we have Briggs. Some, Josh Briggs, we have um, the guy that won last week, Duke Hudson, who was Brandon Vink. You know, um, we have some pretty decent names, but I feel like with AEW popping up uh, right before the last breakout tournament, we weren't really able to be exposed to a lot of these independent guys before all of them were snatched up by a different company. And now we have this new crop that might be pushed a little too soon. And I'm not, and I'm just saying that because it's true. They might be pushed a little too soon. They might be put in a spotlight that they're not ready to be put in because they haven't explored. Same with like a Dominic Mysterio. He's in the, he's on raw every week and he hasn't real or on SmackDown, excuse me. He's on SmackDown every week with his father and that's nice, and that's a good feel-good story. But you know what else is nice? 
getting those extra four to five years on the indies or in Japan or in Mexico, honing your craft, practicing, doing live shows, doing road tours and stuff like that. Right now it's limited. And so you're pushing a guy that's not ready to be there yet. I don't think. Yeah. You got to get those reps. There's a real reason they say you got to get those reps. And this is like a lost generation of performers. We've got in the WWE that haven't had that time to go out and get those reps and, you know, see what they need to do and where they need to improve. Yeah. Ian Riccoboni said it on our, uh, on our last podcast that we were a part of uh, when we interviewed him, he's afraid of, uh, he's afraid of the next generation being a lost generation because they didn't have that chance to train due to COVID and now you're seeing these guys being forced into a spot that I, a lot of them are not ready to be in. Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we are in a place where we can start to get the reps. We can start to see these people get that ability to, you know, flex those muscles and really sort of build themselves up. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you guys are worried about it, Texas and Pennsylvania are full-fledged on their independent scene. There we go. And so uh, moving forward, uh, I've got an honorable mention for the week before we hop into the land of positivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have admitted several times over being the old guy, being the redneck. God, I love this. I I do not completely get hit row. They are just out of my league and they go over my head. Straightforward. I'm just going to say it straight out. I saw Legato del Fantasma's Mariachi Madness musical, and I thought, what the hell are we getting ourselves into? And I see the guys standing there with the guitars. I'm like, are we really going to have one of the most legit, tough stables we've got in NXT doing a comedy routine to try to get themselves over? Why are we doing this to these three men? They should not be doing this. And then Santos basically says, get out of here. We're, you guys don't deserve this. And then he calls out, hit row, and starts spitting venom. And honestly, uh, you know, it comes down to hit row comes out and spits more venom than Santos has in his entire body. Uh, you know, this this was a great segment. And, you know, they it just ends with a very strong guitar shot from Swerve to Wild. I can't say more about this because, you know, it it was just great. It was a great time. And they saved what I thought was going to be the worst segment of the night. Yeah, I mean, it was was very much a... It was a reintroduction of why Hit Row is so good. And it's because you can tell that they write their own promo. Similar to how Elias does. When he comes out and he does the whole performance in the middle of the ring, you can tell that these guys have a strong hand in there. Guys and girls have a strong hand in what they say. And the way that they all present themselves, like the fact that, hold on, the fact that Top Dollar has a better way to say who better than Brian Cage does, like, Fucking Top Dollar says who better than Top Dollar, and the rest of them go not nada. And you, it's just so it, it has that flow, and they all just ooze swagger. Absolutely, the confidence level on these these four 
is just unbelievable. And you get it. You believe it. And as I said earlier, why does Hit Row work so goddamn well? Because I am buying every single thing they're selling. I get it. I might not understand them. It might not be my thing, but I get it. They're credible. I don't turn off the TV. As a matter of fact, when they come on, I'm glued to the TV. One, because I'm trying to understand what the hell I'm watching. And two, they're just that goddamn good. Yeah, they're captivating. They're polarizing. They're what they need to be. And they're a baby face now, by the way. As soon as you, as soon as they came out, the crowd was the loudest I'd heard outside of Samoa Joe tonight. Absolutely. And the crowd was even chanting hit row as uh, Santos was doing his thing. Yeah, and they and when they came and when Hit Row came out, the crowd was singing Hit Row. Like they have their own, they have their own vibe, their own like they are just it, and I love it. I love it. It is so great. Like the it factor from them, the star quality that they have, is through the roof. And also, shout out to Top Dollar for finally getting in the reference to Pablo Escobar that, you know, I've been waiting to hear ever since Santos came on the scene. Yes, that was such, like, I, I wish I could have went back and listened, but I was already running behind tonight. Um, I wish I could have went back and really broke down all of their lines because he referenced Pablo Escobar. He, the Top Dollar, not nada, like, just... Top Dollar, I think, is the best one out of all of them when it comes to a promo. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And this was a barn burner of a promo. Like I said, even if my old ass doesn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on from that, I know I have a top in mind that you don't have in yours. So I'm going to take over on that one. And that was the surprising Diamond Mine versus Kushida and Bobby Fish match. I did not think that I was going to like Tyler Rust in this match, but he's the one that stood out the most to me. Yeah, Tyler Rust had probably his best showing in the black and gold brand of WWE, and uh, I was sort of expecting him to be a background player because really I was expecting this match to be all about uh, Roddy Strong in Bobby Fish and their mm -hmm. ongoing issues. And I was expecting to see that move forward. And while, yes, it did move forward, Kushida and Tyler Rust were definitely not lost in this match. Now, they were actually, I think, the focal point. Like, I feel yeah. like Kushida and Tyler Rust were the ones that you were meant to look at while Bobby Fish and Roddy Strong were on the outskirts. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, and also we had some good work from uh, Malcolm Bivens shouting from the outside. And I mean, it, it was a solid match and it was just a frog's hair away from making it into my top three. Yeah, it was it was really good. And the reason that it was the reason it was in my top three was because I I'm a Kushida Mark. I love the man. And what sold it for me was uh, the flying hoverboard lock. Yes, I love I love it. It's so good. And Tyler Russ took it amazingly. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, just seeing that uh, when he cinched in that hoverboard lock to get that immediate tap. Normally, I hate it when you get an immediate tap because it's like, oh, you're not even going to try. 
But no, I got it. I was like, oh, he, yeah, he's really in there. He's done. If he holds this any longer, I don't believe it. But yeah, it it was a solid way to end the match. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like, it is Kushida's finisher. It is his finishing hold. So the fact that they do immediately tap, that makes that puts it over even more because you know it's that painful. And it also helps that uh, Brock Lesnar won a lot of matches with the Kimura, and uh, that's the hoverboard lock. Yep, there you <laughs> go. And, uh, yeah, Roddy Strong also had a very solid uh, showing in this one. One of the things that uh, I put as one of the marks for me was right at the beginning when Kushida was dominating, Roger Strong came in with that pendulum swinging backbreaker. Oh, my and, God, uh, so good. Yeah, Roddy Strong, I think, is one of those guys that if he could talk, he would be like a Mr. Perfect for this era. He would be everything you need him to be. Yeah, and see, that's my thing. Like, I, I like that comparison for Roddy, but I, I, I would have to put that on Adam Cole. Like, I think Adam Cole is the Mr. Perfect of this era. He's so smarmy, cocky, and an assholey, but he can play either side with the same character, and he's just so fucking good at what he does. But I agree. Roderick Strong is absolutely an underrated and underutilized talent. I'm glad that he's leading his own faction in Diamond Mine with Malcolm Bivens, as uh, Xavier Woods yeah. likes to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I do really love this whole group. I feel like it brings out the best in all of them. And it just, I, I don't know, this this match just really set the tone for the night that should have been kept, and unfortunately, it, it, it wasn't. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a bell curve <laughs> night, for sure. We were definitely yeah. on a bell curve. Yeah, we're definitely on a bell curve, and it's a 70 on that bell curve as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, let's hop right in now that I have scrolled around in my notes, uh, Let's just jump right into Austin Theory taking on Kyle O'Reilly. This was a match that we didn't know about until this show started. And uh, I really am very pleased with how Austin Theory is coming forward. Uh, my big talking point that I took away from this is how much has Austin Theory learned and grown as a performer from working with Johnny Gargano in the way? He has just, I think he has just blossomed and he's really finding a footing where before he was, quote unquote, just a good hand. Yeah, and uh, Ashley brought up a really good point tonight while we were watching it was she was like, why can't he jump off the top rope? And I'm like, well, he can, but he's not. And that's what makes you like you notice that. And that's what sets him apart. He was doing a lot of rolling, like a rolling neck breaker um a, a rolling i think it was a drop kick that he hit onto kylo riley and just the way that he maneuvers around the ring you can tell that he's on another level than what he was even when we saw him on that evolve special facing jd drake for the evolve championship you know i think austin theory is more than just a pretty face i think that he's a super talented worker i think that he can cut a promo he's funny he's entertaining and while a couple weeks ago I was saying that I couldn't stand Austin Theory in this role, I'm really appreciating it because now we're finally getting a lot more development with the way. And I feel like he's kind of like the the broken-hearted son who's left out of everything. You know what I mean? Like, they're all so focused on Indy Hartwell that he's so forgotten. 
And I'm not saying that he's a forgotten son, haha. But I'm but... <laughs> oh, Jackson Riker ruined life. Oh my god, I hate it. But um, <laughs> I will say that he was the perfect foil for Kylo Riley's intensity, especially towards the latter part of the match, where I have it in my notes that the last five to seven minutes of this match were so intense that it felt like a true fight, and it felt like a yeah. true wrestling match and a true feud, and like. What started off as like a little bit of like a comedy promo to set it up, when Austin Theory finally moved those steps and you saw that look on O'Reilly's face, like that that switched the knob for everybody. Because when Kyle O'Reilly walked up to him, he was kind of joking with him during the promo saying, oh, you really are dense, aren't you? Like, you really are kind of stupid. And like Austin Theory's presented that way, but at the same time, he's competent in the ring. And like... Then you finally get this like explosion from Kyle O'Reilly, and he was laying in those shots like those kicks were blistering. And I was just, I was in awe of what Austin Theory was taking there towards the end of it. Oh, yeah, the couple forearms that he laid in, followed oh. by that rolling thunder. My god, and then it he followed it up with this absolutely sick shoulder breaker. I mean. I'll also say great job on the uh, commentary team for really calling out this Jekyll and Hyde feeling of Kyle O'Reilly and explaining why the big thing was he had this attitude shift because all he could think about was Adam Cole trying to end his career. And as soon as somebody touched those steps, it was honestly like somebody flipped a light switch and he just went nuts and they sold that to me so well when he first started breathing heavy and looking crazy i was like "Uh oh what's going on with him now and then i believe it was uh dick joseph that said it and i was just like oh oh that makes so much sense i get that yeah and that's what it was vic joseph was the one that really settled it in and then like wade bear boom right on top of it playing into it and beth phoenix like these three are one of my favorite uh, favorite comedy teams or uh, commentary teams, excuse me, not comedy, commentary teams because <laughs> they really do just hit the hit the nail on the head. Like they are always on top of things. Yeah, like in the Odyssey Jones match, uh, Beth was way on top of it because she was gasping in fright, uh, just like we were when Odyssey was uh, missing his marks. Yeah, oh my god, when she was like, good god, like, that was like a natural reaction, and then like, she, but she feels so natural, and like, if you haven't listened to Renee Paquette's podcast, and you can, uh, and you can suffer through like 17,000 fucking ads in the middle of it, her interview with <laughs> Beth Phoenix was, uh, was fantastic. I will be uh, looking for that when I listened to the first couple of them, where they were leaning into the title of Oral Sessions, and I was like, well... That's awkward for me. I'm yeah, no. Now it's now it's more of like an actual like conversation and like interview style podcast. It's not as bad as it was at the beginning. Gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, this match. Uh, just to uh, sort of wrap it up, uh, as I have in my notes, theory started to lose uh, when he pulled the steps apart. Brainbuster on the, or O'Reilly goes with a snap brainbuster on the steps followed by tons of hard strikes and knees to sternum. Uh, he locks in a leg lock of some sort. Was it a figure four? No, it was a uh, knee bar. A knee bar uh, to score the win over Austin Theory. Uh, so where would you like to take us next, sir? Yeah, uh, 
Just final thoughts uh, on that one, just real quick. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly's fantastic. Uh, I love him, and I love that he focuses on submissions. Uh, like I tweeted out on my personal Twitter account at D Miller Games. Uh, I, I love this. Not verified, but it's fine. It's whatever. Uh, <laughs> I love the submission styling. And uh, Jonathan Gresham and Mike Bennett had a fucking classic. Just throwing that out there uh, of pure submission and catch wrestling, if you guys can check that out. And Kyle O'Reilly personally embodies that in WWE to the best of his ability. And so if you guys really like submission wrestling, please, please, please. Please keep checking out Kyle O'Reilly. He's so good. Absolutely. But, uh, on top of that, my final top was L.A. Knight and Cameron Grimes' story progression. Um, it all started with an opening segment, like an opening video of L.A. Grimes arriving to the arena with uh, Cam- uh, L.A. Knight arriving to the arena with Cameron Grimes and ordering him to unload the trunk with all of his bags. And then Drake Maverick comes up. And helps out Cameron Grimes. L.A. Knight hates that, so they kind of get worked into a match. And then L.A. Knight completely demolishes Drake Maverick in this match. And then at the end of it, which was my favorite part, was he was beating him down. Cameron Grimes tries to stop him. But uh, uh, L.A. Knight forces Grimes to punch Maverick in the face. And now we're finally seeing that slight manipulation and control edge that L.A. Knight has over Cameron Grimes as his butler. And it's but that, I think the important thing to point out is actually Maverick got the win. And oh, it that's was, right. It, it was in part to uh, L.A. Knight throughout the night wanted Cameron Grimes to hold that million-dollar title up above his head. And actually, uh, when he was lecturing Grimes, uh, Maverick gave him a kick, and he planted his own forehead directly into that million-dollar title and knocked himself out for a second just long enough for Maverick to roll him up and get that pin. That's what yeah, set I, Knight off the deep end. I completely forgot about that uh, because of the, the post-match was so good. And, yeah, you're right. It was a flash pinfall. Cameron, uh, Cameron Grimes was celebrating with Drake Maverick, telling him to leave, like, you got to go. And Maverick turned right into a brutal clothesline. L.A. Knight started beating him down. And then as Cameron Grimes tried to stop him, L.A. Knight was like, no, you need to punch him in the face. And he said, I don't care if you punch him, kick him, I don't care. But you need to hit him in the face and put him down. And so Cameron Grimes did because he's a man of his word. He is he is L.A. Knight's butler. And he still showed concern for Drake Maverick, but he did what he was told to do. And like that dynamic of... You will do as I say, whether you like it or not, is such a massive power play in this storyline. And now we're finally seeing that ruthless aggression, no pun intended there either, of what you can't is, see me. <laughs> of what is LA Knight in this storyline. And he is just absolutely a fucking dick. And Cameron Grimes really sold that the hurt that that put him through emotionally. By mm-hmm. sitting in that corner and just, you know, burying his head in his hands and just, it, you felt for the guy. You felt like, you know, obviously there is history with Maverick and Grimes, uh, you know, from their past out on the indies and in TNA. But you really kind of fell for him. You felt like, you know, he hit his best friend, even though they probably aren't best friends. And, uh, you know, that sucks. Like, you know, I was sitting there watching it thinking, man, that really sucks for Grimes. 
that is horrible for him to have to go through. Yeah, and and everybody can feel for him because it's such a simple story that everybody gets it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, I, I love this. I thought it was fantastic character development, and I thought it was a great way to progress the story outside of just comedy segments that we had gotten leading up to this. Absolutely. This is the first you really, really felt it. And speaking of really, really feeling it, Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross, the thread that was going through the needle of this entire show, we got to see the Samoan submission machine in his angriest form since coming back. Uh, you know, we started out with an opening promo, which the line that I took is tick-tock, tick-tock, guess who's coming to smash your clock? And uh, throughout this entire night, Regal kept saying, you know, he's coming, carrying crosses on his way. Uh, you know, he wasn't trying to provoke Samoa Joe, the wrestler. He was trying to Samo- er, provoke Samoa Joe, the referee. There's a difference. This needs to end peacefully. We can't have this go down. And uh, ultimately, that was uh, Regal's undoing as... Uh, Karrion Cross left Regal laying out in the most dangerous spot in the entire world, the NXT parking lot. Yeah, you, we've seen kidnappings. We've seen uh, uh, assassination attempts, it seems like. Um, <laughs> they but, even have a t-shirt now that says Danger NXT Parking Lot. I need that shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the most appropriate shirt ever. It really is, because that, that parking lot is dangerous. But... Yeah, man, I'm loving this. I, I they keep. Oh, I was so mad that Joe couldn't get his hands on Carrying Cross, and like, we just saw Carrying Cross on Monday Night Raw, and I was just waiting to see what would happen on Tuesday. And I even tweeted out on the uh, at Warzone Pod Twitter account, haha, we're a show for ourselves. Uh, Yay, us! I I tweeted out that like, hey, Jeff Hardy has a win over Carrying uh, Cross. He could be the number one contender for the uh, NXT title. He could, yeah. but he's not. And um, I was not. I was so excited to see what was going to happen tonight that, like, Jeff Hardy beating Karrion Cross yesterday with the return of No More no more Words, mind you, which I fucking loved. Um, I, sure. I popped so hard for that. But mm-hmm. um, I was so ready to see tonight. And the fact that Joe still couldn't get his fucking hands on Karrion Cross. I'm still livid. Like, I'm still pissed. And that's that's something. They're making me feel something. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Regal is just one of those stalwart figures that no matter mm-hmm. what, he is William Regal. You respect, you love that man, and then you do not do anything else. And the fact that we saw Karrion Cross put his hands on William Regal tonight, or at least the aftermath of that, makes you just hate this guy even more. It really does. Because, like, you mess with Regal, you mess with the NXT universe. Like Absolutely. And us being members of that universe, we're both pissed, too. Like, God, every time they bring Regal in, it's always so good. And, like, the, he's he's used so effectively. It's not an overuse of, like, say, the, the Mr. McMahon character. It's not an overuse of... Triple H and Stephanie as the uh, whatever the fuck they were, the corporation or the authority, the authority. That's what they were. Um, It's not overuse. And he's a baby face. So everybody loves him and everybody wants to see him 
just as his happy self and and shouting out war games like that's all we want <laughs> we just want him to be there book a match or two and then scream war games and then he's done he's fine uh <laughs> But, a, a note about Samoa Joe that they did do that just made me feel like we're finally going to get it. We're finally going to see it. One, his hands were taped. Yes, this, I noticed that too. See his hands taped. And two, he has a new t-shirt that just says night, night. Yep. Yep. I saw and, that. And that's all being primed for him to come back. And like, that's, that's the WWE <laughs> I mean, hell, we even see two Braun Strowman shirts on the WWE shop page uh, as well. So who knows? We might see him on Sunday. But maybe uh, you never know. Friday, Friday. I mean, Friday. God, whenever. Uh, it's, it's been a long week. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so like with with Samoa Joe, everybody's just waiting for with bated breath for him to get his hands on carrying cross, and when that time comes. That crowd in the NX in, in the CWC is going to come unglued. And that's the thing. I don't know if he shows up in actual gear or he just does like tonight, because if he really wanted to take it tonight, he could have shown up in gear and mm-hmm. just been ready to brawl. But I'm thinking, you know, maybe we are working our way up to NXT TakeOver 36. Maybe we're going to see Joe in full on Samoa Joe mode and just going after him. Uh, in an actual sanctioned match, it could be. And you know what would what would sell this even more is if next exactly. month, if next Monday on Raw, William Regal comes out with Samoa Joe as carrying crosses in the ring. That would be fantastic. I would absolutely pop for that. And like, if William Regal's like being held back by Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce, and then he just goes get him. And, and you just see Samoa Joe up behind carrying cross and puts him to sleep with the coquina clutch. Like mm. that would be so good because now that now it's bleeding over now. Chef's kiss. Now you feel that realism that nothing's going to stop me from touching him. And they even brought up that carrying cross was on raw. So the fact that they brought it up means that he's touchable on raw. And that's what, that's what I want to see. Chef's kiss. I did not even think of that, man. That is a thing of beauty you're suggesting. And, and so, because uh, of that, they won't do it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a month to build the TakeOver 36, which is August 22nd, the Sunday after SummerSlam. So uh, hopefully we aren't all sunburnt too much from uh, taking in SummerSlam. But uh, that is going to be a big full wrestling weekend. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's the same weekend as SummerSlam, and we're getting fucking Goldberg and Bobby Lashley and Cena Reigns, which I'm excited for the Cena Reigns one. Uh, Goldberg can fuck off, but I love Cena versus Reigns, man. Like, <laughs> All I'm saying for the Goldberg-Lashley uh, match is Big E on the Field of Power podcast has talked that his dream would be to have a, as he put it, a meat-slapping match with Bill Goldberg, and I would love to see... Goldberg take that title from Lashley only to have Big E come out, do the big old meat slap, and then take that title right away from Goldberg and have Big E be reunited with the New Day on Raw. I would love it. I would love it. And then build up the tension between him and Kofi because he's champion. Kofi's not. Xavier gets that tension. And, like, you can see maybe a little bit of disintegration within the ranks of the New Day. And, oh. There's so much story that you could tell there. 
Absolutely. And so let's get on to some news. We just got a couple little items, at least from my end here. Which yeah, we already I don't have, have the next. <laughs> well, the next takeover, NXT Takeover Thirty Six, August twenty second. Uh, starting next week, make sure that you watch your dial. NXT will be on Sci-Fi for the next couple weeks. I imagine that's to make way for the Olympics. That's so, exactly what it is. Yep. So just be ready. And then uh, we had two major NXT debuts across the last week. Finn Balor shows up on SmackDown. And uh, we did have Karrion Cross make his debut last night, but he came without Scarlett, and unfortunately, he lost to Jeff Hardy in about two minutes with a quick roll-up. Uh, the backstage vibe is uh, not good after that in NXT. As reported on Fightful Select, there are reports that the loss led to a sense of quote-unquote shock and frustration within the NXT locker room especially amongst some of the top talents like Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Finn Balor, Santos Escobar, Oni Lorcan, and more that have worked so hard to make Cross come off as such a dominant figure. Uh, the other report says that Fightful put out says that they're not mad, they're just disappointed backstage. Yeah, I was too, man. Like, if you wanted to give Jeff Hardy a win with the return of the, of his theme song and everything like that, because that's a big thing. A lot of wrestling fans have been lobbying for it since he started that singles run. We've all wanted no more words. That's, that is that is one of the big things that we've campaigned for as wrestling fans. And we finally get it last night. You didn't have to, you didn't have to have him beat Karrion Cross. Yeah. You, you didn't need him. it at the expense. No, you could have had him beat fucking Humberto Carrillo, and then he faces Sheamus for the U.S. title. That did not matter. Like that—that mm-hmm. that could have been—that could have been the story. But no, it had to be against Karrion Cross. And like Karrion Cross, while I'm not the biggest fan of him, his storyline with Samoa Joe and stuff like that shouldn't have been impacted with a loss to Jeff Hardy. Yeah, and that's honestly what makes me sad. Is I feel like this does impact what we're seeing on the NXT show. A lot of people online have been basically saying this is proof that Vince and, you know, the people in the writer's room for Raw and SmackDown don't really give a shit about NXT, that they are just so detached from it that they would let their champion, who is this big, dominant, undefeated monster, just get beat by somebody who has been, you know, let's call a spade a spade. He's been basically a good hand lately. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, let him take this undefeated streak away. I was hoping the one that would take the undefeated streak away from Cross would be a Samoa Joe or somebody that would have it matter. Yeah. And that's the thing is like WWE doesn't think about that, especially main roster WWE. NXT does for the most part, but mm-hmm. WWE doesn't. And I, I, I still hold NXT and Raw and SmackDown to two different things. Raw and SmackDown are the, are the majors. NXT is the minor leagues, man. And while you may be great in the minors, you may not be great in the majors. And, like, I, I don't know. Like, just, I wish there was more communication and I wish there was more understanding. But that's not the world we live in. And, unfortunately, that's not the world Karrion Cross lives in because uh, if that was the case, he'd still be undefeated. I wish he would have fallen and prayed a lot harder to try to keep that streak going because, oh man, my oh, man. God. That was yeah, producing. Yeah, well, guess what? 
I did. I, gr- I gave you that. You're welcome. Enjoy. And that is all I have for all of you Warzone followers. Oh, God. All right. Take us home. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was going to say, Damien, put yourself over, good sir. Oh, okay. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at DMillerGames. Uh, I've been tweeting out quite a bit lately. Uh, so, yeah, let me know you what you show- think. What's that? You can't shut them up. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Like, I, I mean, you're about to shut me up. My ass is tired. I'm about to go to bed. <laughs> yes, follow him at Demotor Games. You can follow the Warzone Wrestling Podcast on the Twitter machine at Warzone Wrestling Pod or on Facebook if you are so inclined at the Warzone Wrestling Podcast. We see you. We got a couple new followers. We're glad to have you join the conversation. Feel free to post. Uh, and while you're doing that, go check out our T Public store. We actually have a link pinned to the top of our Twitter feed to get to our T Public store. Lots of good stuff out there. I think you could probably use a couple new things for uh, you know the next couple days. You know, especially with summer co- or being hot this year. Get yourself a tank top. Get yourself a flag. Whatever you want. Just show your support for the Warzone Wrestling Podcast. You can follow our third compatriot, the historian, the well-distinguished Sobes, at just underscore and underscore S-O-B, because he's just an S-O-B. And you can follow me, Brad, the only, and I'm going to stress only as much as I possibly can, only verified member of the Warzone Wrestling Podcast on the Twitter machine at Pedersen Reports. That is at P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N Reports. And with that, Damien, would you like to take us home the rest of the way? Yeah, absolutely. With that being said, this has been the NXT review of the Warzone Wrestling Podcast. And tune in tomorrow morning as we review AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest Part 2.